Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Paleo Valley. We know that chronic inflammation is at the root of every single degenerative disease. And so if we're going to thrive in life, we've got to do things to help encourage a healthy inflammation response in our body. One of the best ways we can do that is take herbs that help support inflammation and keep inflammation under control. The most well-studied herb for doing that is turmeric. Turmeric inhibits the inflammatory nuclear factor kappa beta and STAT3 pathways. These are genetic pathways that amplify inflammation in our body. And by inhibiting these, turmeric really helps support good blood flow, joint health, brain function, our ability to think sharply and quickly and have good memory, mood, and just an overall good mindset. Now, when it comes to taking turmeric, you know, certainly we can be putting it on our, our food, you know, and taking food-based uh, forms of turmeric, right? A lot of people will use the most well-studied compound, which is curcumin. However, what we know is that whole food-based turmeric has nearly 300 other beneficial components than just curcumin alone. And so again, curcumin is extremely powerful. But the research shows that taking a whole food-based turmeric complex can be much more beneficial. Now, the problem with turmeric is that it notoriously has low bioavailability on its own, and the body has a hard time absorbing it. It really needs a good soluble fat to absorb it. And that's why Paleo Valley, with their turmeric complex, they added coconut oil. I mean, you think about like a like a curry with turmeric and coconut oil, and it's got different warming herbs, black pepper. You know, it's a, a, a popular Indian dish, the curry. That's really what allows it to absorb the best, the fat, the warming herbs. And that's what Paleo Valley did when they created their turmeric complex. They added coconut oil, they added black pepper, and that combination has been shown to increase the absorption of turmeric by 2,000%. On top of that, they also added in ginger, rosemary, and cloves, which are herbs that really support brain, brain function. They support healthy inflammation, immune health, good digestion, and blood sugar stability. So you get all of that in the Paleo Valley Turmeric Complex. I'm a huge advocate of this supplement. I take it on a regular basis. And you can take it now as well and get a special discount. In fact, go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers. And use the coupon code JOCKERS, just my last name, JOCKERS at checkout. That will save you 15% off your order. So guys, if you want to keep inflammation under control and really thrive in life, 
Try out the Paleo Valley Turmeric Complex today. Again, use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15%. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Got a real exciting uh, discussion right here. We've got Dr. Peter Kahn. If you don't know Dr. Kahn, he is an expert in functional medicine, in uh, applied neurology, and really working on the gut. And he has this amazing uh, big masterclass or brain immune gut masterclass, which is really a foundational concept of what he teaches, how the brain, the immune system, and the gut are all interconnected and how they all work together. And we're going to go through that in this interview. He also has Hope Integrative Wellness Center, works with people, him and his team work with people all over the world. Um, and you can check him out at AskDrKhan.com. Com. That's his website. We'll have all those links in the show notes that you guys can check out. But Dr. Peter Kahn is just really, really intelligent guy, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. So Dr. Kahn, uh, you and I, we've been friends now for a little while, and uh, always exciting to catch up. So uh, what's going on in your world, my friend? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm super excited. And uh, we recently actually interviewed you for our Bringing You Gut Master Class, and you just knocked it out of the park. So I know uh, we're going to have really good discussions because we're on the same frequency with many of these things. Um, and, and as far as, you know, us, we're really, uh, really trying to you know, push this concept of brain immune gut access or this big idea, as BJ Parley used to like to say, uh, the big idea that the brain, the immune system and the gut is interconnected. They're not separate. A lot of people out there, many people, they kind of see, hang on to a concept like SIBO. And then they're just SIBO, SIBO, SIBO. And that's the only thing they got. And that's they're just kind of zeroed in on it. And they're, they're maybe overlooking potentially the role of brain in the immune system in creating SIBO. So here they are trying to take rifaximin and antibiotic therapy and all this stuff and doing a low FODMAP, which may be what they need at, at the same time, but they also may need to tend to other areas. And so my, my big thing right now, hey, big thing, is to kind of get this big idea out so that people can become even better educated using the information that they already have, but use it in a more connected way, in a wiser way, so they can get better results. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. So let's start with you know the big idea. that It's the brain-immune-gut axis. So how are these all interconnected? Well, I think many people have heard of the the gut-brain axis or the brain-gut axis, you know, right. in the past decade, right? And in, in a lot of books, a lot of summit and research talking about the brain and gut connection. So we know that the brain is connected to the gut neurologically through the parasympathetic nervous system, as well as the vagus nerve. And then vice versa, the gut communicate back to the brain through the nervous system as well, through the enteric nervous system and the ascending afferent pathway from the gut to the brain to let the brain know what's going on in a gut environment. So there's that bi-directional communication between the brain and the gut. That's very well documented. I think many people by now know that. Yeah. I think what's been left out is the immune system between this go-between mm -hmm. of the brain and the gut, right? We talk about the brain gut and the gut brain. But what about the immune system's role in this? Because really, the way that the gut and the brain communicate with each other is not just neurologically. It's not just through uh, peptides in a gut. It's also through cytokines, right? Much of this communication goes back and forth with cytokines. Now, cytokines are immune messengers. I usually, I, I often describe cytokines as 
text messages being sent by the immune system mm -hmm. to each other to let the immune cells know where to go and what to do. So there are immune messengers that create this communication superhighway, but it's really systemic, right? It's not just the vagus nerve. I mean, they can actually crawl out the vagus nerve. The cytokine actually do physically crawl out the vagus nerve. We can, we actually have science that shows that. But it's a it's a whole body thing where the, the cytokine systemically communicates information from the gut and the brain. So I think this is often overlooked. And what happens is people start to get confused about the symptom they're having. And like I said, maybe inappropriately assigning their symptom to what they assume to be a cause. Okay, so for example, I see a lot of people with brain immune gut access challenges having brain symptoms. So these are like common denominators. So like when, when people come into me with chronic illness, be it Lyme disease or mold or candida or Hashimoto's or fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. they all share very similar symptoms. This is where really where yeah. the big idea was birthed. When I see all these people with different conditions, they all complain of neurological symptoms. What are these? Fatigue, right? Fatigue is a brain symptom. I mean, you don't feel fatigue in your buttock you'll feel fatigue in your brain, right? It's a right. brain symptom. So really, if people say they have fatigue, they should just say, yep, I have a brain symptom. That's what mm -hmm. really what it is. Uh, so fatigue is a brain symptom. You can have brain fog. Obviously, you can have short-term memory issue. You can have depression, anxiety. You can have even vertigo. You can even have peripheral nervous system issue, not just brain, but you can have just problem with the nervous system in general, like numbness, tingling, balance problems, and so forth. So I see a lot of people coming in with chronic conditions, regardless of diagnosis, having these brain issues. And I also see these people with chronic diagnosis having immune system challenges. What are these? Inflammation, right? Inflammation is an immune system mediated response. Mm -hmm. A lot of time people think inflammation is, you know, I bang my elbow, I, my elbow's inflamed, it's swollen. Well, inflammation is not just a boo-boo on your elbow. Inflammation is a systemic immune response to help the body heal. So when you say you have inflammation, you better recognize, oh my gosh, the hip hop coming out of me. You better recognize that it, it's an immune system mediated response. Okay, so yeah. inflammation and people may experience chronic infections where they have Epstein-Barr and you know herpes one through six and everything under the sun. Like what the heck, did they catch all these things? Or did the immune system become compromised that they let these things develop? So they may have chronic viral infections, chronic bacteria issue, chronic candida, so chronic infection. And then they may also experience just multiple food or chemical sensitivity. That's an immune system response, right? In yeah. food sensitivity, yeah. people think it's, oh, it's a digestion problem. Not at all. <laughs> food mm -hmm. sensitivity is an immune system response. Right. So if you have, if you're developing more and more sensitive to more foods as time goes on, that is an indication that you have an immunological problem. And uh, it needs to be recognized as such. And same thing with chemical sensitivity. Because remember, how do we even test food sensitivity? Immunoglobulin A, immunoglobulin G, right? These are yeah. measuring immune response to a food. So food reaction are not GI problems, but rather they're immune system problem. Mm -hmm. And then finally, with all these people with chronic health challenges, regardless of diagnosis, they also come in a lot of time with digestion issues. They have heartburn, they have reflux, or they have gas and bloating. They may have like SIBO they can't clear or CIFO. They, they may have just all kinds of, you know, alternating constipation, diarrhea issues. So regardless what, what I see, people usually come in complaining of those three areas. So that led me to think like, what's the common denominator between people with Lyme and mold and Hashimoto's and fibromyalgia and all these chronic conditions that 
that lead them to have this brain symptom, immune system, and gut symptoms. And I realized that that there is a brain immune gut mm. connection, and the literature supports that. I mean, again, we know that that there's a brain gut connection, and really much of the research in the past ten years surrounding food reaction and autoimmune disease is all based on this concept of immune system dysregulation, where you have barrier compromise that lead to intestinal permeability, that lead to the, the induction of these systemic inflammatory response. Your immune system gets overzealous, start to create cross-reactions, molecular mimicry. So this leads to a cascade. So I think this is really important for people to hear that because they may think they have 20 problems when in fact they may just have one big problem, right. big meaning brain immune gut problem, yeah. and that there's an underlying theme or current that we can unify this and, and make it simple, right? Make their, make their interventions and what they do to help themselves simpler. doesn't mean it's easy or it's going to be overnight or a magic bullet, but it just simplifies it so it's more clear to them what step they're on. Yeah, this is really important because in mainstream medicine, it's very mechanistic and it, you know, if you have brain symptoms, you're, you go to a neuro, you know, if you have neurological symptoms, you see a neurologist. If you have mood problems, you see a psychologist, right? If you have gut issues, you see a gastroenterologist and these, you know, all these doctors have some knowledge of the other systems of the body, but they just don't understand the holistic nature of them and how they're all working together. And so they're really just localized and focusing just on that. And a lot of times in natural health, you know, we're not using pharmaceuticals, but we look at things similarly, like some people will say they're the gut specialist, right? Or, you know, the brain specialist, they treat Alzheimer's or whatever it is. But you really have to look at all these systems together because they're all working together. And I think, um, you know, the model that you've put together and the way you've explained it uh, just is, is really brilliant from that perspective. Yes, I, I agree. I think uh, the, the brainwash is pretty strong, you know, that the way we compartmentalize the body, yeah. right? Because this is how medicine, allopathic medicine is, you know, the study of body parts, chapter one, brain, chapter two, right. gut, right? In medical school. So what happens is we sort of compartmentalize it. And then you even develop specialists around these chapters. Yeah. And, and this is a problem because then people are not really getting someone who can see the big the big picture uh, of how everything's connected. And I, I agree with you, David, that many people in the natural alternative world do very similar things, right? Yeah. Oh, you have GI problem. Here's a supplement for that. Oh, you have brain symptom. Here's a supplement for that. So it becomes green pharmacy. We're taking a supplement for every symptom and every ill mm. without really understanding what's really causing it. So yeah. just because it's natural doesn't mean it's all good. If you're not applying the right solution to the right problem, or you're not identifying what the, what the heck is the problem in the first place, then you could be taking a lot of supplement and not really hitting the target. Yeah, so true. Absolutely. So where do you start when you're looking at this, when you're looking at the brain immune gut axis, and when you're assessing somebody, say they come in with fatigue, let's, let's go through kind of the checklist of things that you're going to start looking at. Absolutely. So th there's a roadmap that I have developed, you know, just clinically, you know, this yeah. is not like, oh, there's a scientific peer review paper to support this, but it just from working with thousands of people over many, many years that I've developed this model, okay, this approach to solving problems. And I call it the roadmap. And, and oftentimes I also call it a sequence of events where yeah. 
you you gotta go through step one before you do step two before you do step three. It doesn't mean that there's no detour available, right? It's not rigid, but it's a yeah. a, a guideline to help us to have better, higher probability of not missing something that's really important. Right now, before I even go into the roadmap, I want to just use this analogy that I often use because I think it really helps illustrate this point that you don't want to be jumping around too much. Okay, so let's say you come up to somebody and this person is unconscious, right, laying on the side of the road, and you want to help. So you go up to them, you do your, you know, CPR stuff, right? You do ABC, right? Check airway, breathing, you know, pulse and stuff. And you find that this person has no breathing and has a broken leg. Which one do we fix first? Breathing. Of course, the airway, right? right? right. Everybody yeah. knows that. So because that's the one that's going to have the most life-threatening or the most systemic impact. Without oxygen, nothing in the body works. Broken leg, you can leave it there. You can fix it later. Mm -hmm. So we know that in medicine that we, we got a triage. Well, guess what? To heal from chronic illness, such as Lyme, mole, candida, Hashimoto, autoimmune disease, there's also this sense of triage or step-by-step -step process where you want to fix the, the thing that's going to have the most impact on the entire body first. So you're kind of building a foundation, just like you yeah. build a house. You don't start with a roof first and then put the foundation and then put it in the wall. You got to start with the foundations first, put up the wall and the roof last. So, you know, we, we would never think of coming up to somebody who's unconscious and this person has no breathing and a broken leg. And we say, oh my gosh, this person needs some testosterone replacement. <laughs> like We just wouldn't say that, but you know, it happens every day right. in functional True. medicine. I see it yeah. all day. Mm. People say, oh, you know, I, I have fatigue, you know, use that example, or I just don't feel with it. I must just need some hormones. Like, mm. wait a minute, let's really dive in and yeah. find out what's happening with you instead of just diving to hormone replacement or having a lot of doctors just promote that like that's the only thing. Keep in mind that right. hormone replacement has its place. It can be really, really helpful if somebody really need it. But even if they need the hormone, we still need to understand why they don't have enough hormone in the first place and try to right. support that physiology. So that's kind of the, the analogy that I give. So with that said, what is this clinical roadmap? What, what do I see is often the most important thing or uh, the thing that that's overlooked in both conventional and natural medicine? Well, there's a kind of a three step pyramid or three-step you know, approach to it. The first step is fuel delivery. When it comes to helping someone with chronic illness, first of all, you have to make sure we're delivering fuel to the system. If they can't make produce energy, then nothing else is going to work. I mean, you can right. take hormone, you can detox. If you don't have enough energy, you can't detox well. You're not going to be able to utilize your hormone well. So I see fuel delivery as the first step. Mm. And within that fuel delivery, the number one, the first step within the fuel delivery is perfusion. Okay, so perfusion yeah. is how are we able to deliver oxygen to the tissue, to the working tissues? Right. And, and within perfusion, there's two primary things that I look at clinically. Number one is, do they have enough blood flow, circulation? Mm. Now, this can be assessed through just checking the blood pressure. We can also do, you know, a capillary refill, filling the skin temperature, or just yeah. taking an inventory. Like, do you have cold hands, cold feet? Does your nose get cold? You know, do you have poor nail growth or fungal nail growth? These are maybe signs of poor perfusion. Many times, many doctors just kind of like, oh, you know, you have poor circulation, but it's not really focused upon. Yeah. One of the things that I see very common is this problem with low blood pressure. Okay. And, and so clinically speaking, you know, no blood pressure normally should be 120 over 80. Mm -hmm. Some people, their blood pressure is just suboptimal. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not low enough for them to pass out, but it's not good enough for them to feel great either. So for example, the blood pressure is like 100 over 65. Well, some people, maybe that's their normal. 
So then you have to correlate that with their symptom. Do, do you feel dizzy, lightheaded? Do you have orthostatic hypotension? When you change position, you bend over, get up, you get dizzy. If you do, then that, that lower pressure reading may mean something, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if it doesn't, then it doesn't. So we, we would never hang our hat on one test. But if your blood pressure is getting like 90 over 60, 85 over 55, I mean, that's pretty low. That's, that's not good enough for you to feel great. And that can start to impact your body's ability to get blood to your tissue and your brain. And that can result in brain symptoms, immune system challenges, even gut issues. So that's one of the first thing I look at. Do you have proper perfusion and circulation? The other step within that is anemia. We have to rule out anemia. There are many different types of anemia. Not all anemia is iron deficiency and not all iron deficiencies is anemia. So we have to really look. And a lot of natural healthcare practitioners just don't do the in-depth enough analysis of the CBC to really tease yeah. that out. But if somebody's anemic, again, like we can take all the you know, hormones and take all the supplements we want, but if we're not addressing the anemia, ultimately you cannot get oxygen to the tissue and that's going to be a problem. What should somebody so be looking at for, for signs of anemia in their symptoms? And then also when they're looking at just a complete blood count, like what should their RBC, hematocrit, hemoglobin, what should, what's like kind of the normal optimal levels that you're looking at there? Yeah, I don't have the functional ranges in front of me, but mm -hmm. typically we're, we're looking at functional ranges. However, yeah. you cannot diagnose somebody with anemia unless their red blood cell hemoglobin hematocrit is actually below the laboratory range. Right. right? So you can't just look at it and say, oh, you're just a little bit below like the, the median of that number. You have anemia. Like we can't say that. Mm -hmm. But we can say that, you know, you're kind of pushing the low end of that normal. Maybe you're, you're a little bit anemic. And if you also have symptoms associated with it, Maybe you're not, you have some problem with that. But subclinical anemia. Right. Subclinical. Right? Functional right. anemia. Yeah. But, you know, we, we just have to be careful, you know, because sure. a lot of time people, uh, functional medicine practitioners say stuff and the patient just makes some assumption about it. But, mm -hmm. you know, we have to get, get very clear with our language so people know exactly what they're dealing with. I yeah. feel that that's part of informed consent, right? And sometimes uh, if we, we don't explain ourselves well and people are confused, then that's not helpful either. True. Uh, as, as far as uh, symptom wise, typically it's going to be symptoms relating to just fatigue. They may have a lot of brain symptoms associated mm. with this because yeah. if you're anemic, just keep in mind your brain cells, your neuron require proper fuel for function. It requires fuel and activation for, mm. for every brain cell to, to survive. Actually, it needs fuel and activation. And one of the fuel for neurons is oxygen. Yeah. So if you have low oxygen state, either because you have poor perfusion, poor circulation, low blood pressure, or anemia, then that means you can't deliver oxygen to your brain tissue very well. And if your oxygen, if your brain tissue doesn't have oxygen, it becomes unstable. It'll go through what's called transneural degeneration. What that means is as brain cells start to get weaker, they will start to kind of become unstable and fire mm -hmm. spontaneously. This is where we see you know, neuron function become unstable. So the, the, the performance become unstable. So you may experience brain fog. You may experience decreased mental endurance where you read a book, you fall asleep, or you fill out a, a new client paperwork at yeah. the doctor's office. And you just like, you feel like you read a thousand pages. You can't process information as fast as you did before because you just don't have enough energy to do that. You, uh, other signs of anemia, maybe just you feel cold all the time. Uh, you may even see changes, you know, in your fingernails and so forth. But, but really what I look for in anemia is this, this impact on energy production, 
um, brain because the brain is so sensitive to that. Right. As far as lab values, I don't have a functional ranges on me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I try not to remember anything that I can look up. So, uh, yeah. but I'm sure if you have the functional ranges ready, you can uh, please let the audience know. Yeah, typically, uh, you know, I'm looking at like red blood cells. They definitely should always be up over four. Um, I think that's always a big one. Um, you know, typically like you'll see like the size of the blood blood cells, like the MCV, the MCHC, that, so different types of anemia, B12 anemia, those are large, right? So it's like a immature, it's the, the red blood cell. There's less red blood cells, but they're um, large. And when they're large, they're immature and, and they're not able to bring oxygen to cells as well. And then when it's an iron deficiency, they're small, the microcytic, uh, you know, and there's less iron. So the hematocrit is lower than it should be. So there's all these different types of anemia, like you were talking about. Um, and, and, and some, what are some of the main root causes that you're seeing with anemia? So there's different types of anemia, as you stated, yeah. iron deficiency to B12, but those are just the right. type of anemia, but there's also the causes for them. Yep. So, you know, with iron deficiency, uh, oftentimes I see people having just poor absorption issue, lack of stomach mm-hmm. acid. Right. That's a big one. Uh, that's a big one because, uh, you know, most of the minerals require an acidic medium to be digested and absorbed like calcium, yeah. iron, and so forth. So if you have poor stomach acid production, it'll typically manifest as having you know, paradoxically, you know, heartburn, reflux, because you don't have enough acid to digest food. So the food sits there and rot and that rotting food kind of turns on you and you reflux it out. So we look for these digestive symptoms as an indicator that potentially there's low stomach acid production that can cause uh, iron deficiency anemia or other types of anemia. Another very frequent type of anemia is actually just anemia of chronic disease. Mm. actually an official diagnosis, yeah. anemia, ACD, anemia of chronic disease. And, and really anemia of chronic disease is, is also really uh, anemia inflammation. What mm. happens is when you're inflamed, your red blood cell can actually be destroyed and, and be rendered, you know, unfunctional or useless. So you can actually have that red blood cell hemolysis at a greater enough level to cause, you know, a, a functional state of just lower red blood cell and hemoglobin. And that can be a, a cause for anemia. And other people may have anemia because they, they have a leaky gut, you know, yeah. so you can may have low stomach acid, that's more higher up in the gastric area. But, you know, as we go further south on the digestive tract, you can have problem within the small intestine where you're not absorbing things well. Uh, you can have uh, gut issues like uh, H. pylori infection, mm-hmm. which can also shut down stomach acid production that can cause anemia. Uh, so, and then even, you know, in severe cases, you may have a GI bleed. You may have a, just a bleed somewhere that needs yeah. to be ruled out. That obviously yeah. that requires medical attention, but th- there's many reasons for it. I think the important thing is that people have to first identify whether anemia is in play mm-hmm. that's causing the brain immune gut problem. And then f- furthermore, identify the causes for that anemia. And there's many different reasons. And, and this, this is all discussed in detail in the brain immune gut masterclass yeah. where I, I go, go through step-by-step step and covering all the different steps of the roadmap. Mm-hmm. So then people can have a, a big picture. Thank you very much. Right. Thanks for, right. <laughs> yeah, no, this is super, super important. People do need to address the anemia first, like you're talking about. And so often they're, they're chasing after other things. They hear CoQ10, take CoQ10 for energy, but they're anemic, you know, and if you're anemic, you take all the CoQ10, you can take, you know, eight, the best type, 800 milligrams a day, not going to get the results. And that's why you need to know this. That's exactly the point. I think uh, my goal is to get people to be more streamlined with what they're doing. Yeah. Instead of like, well, I need 
I need vitamin A, don't I? I need CoQ10, don't I? I need alpha-lipoic acid, don't I? I need zinc, I need selenium, I need everything. Well, we need them. We get them from food, though. Mm-hmm. So do you have to take vitamin A through Z? Many times, people don't if they can just yeah. get this big idea and, and right. start triage and prioritizing. So you're fixing the first things first. So look, like you have anemia, let's, and you have we know what's causing anemia. Let's say for you is stomach acid deficiency and you have H. pylori. Yeah. Well, we can take a few things to address H. pylori and stomach acid issues and even take I supplement with iron to get you mm-hmm. up to speed. But that's like three things. That's not yeah. 20 supplements. That's three things. So could you just take three to five things to fix something first? And then when that's fixed, then we fix the next step. Then right. that you take a step by step. So then you're patient, right? You're not, you're not just chasing shiny objects like, oh, here's another supplement. Oh, here's somebody talk about this supplement. Oh, I got to take that too, because that sounds all great because you're, you know where you stand, mm. know what you're trying to fix, and you're not chasing things. I just want to take a moment to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite drink blends, Organifi Red Juice. This is a premium blend of organic superfoods that contain potent adaptogens, things like cordyceps, ginseng, reishi mushroom, rhodiola, these renowned adaptogens that really promote energy, physical endurance, mental clarity, so you can perform at your best. They're also rich in antioxidants. They support your immune system. And it also has beets in this. And beets are one of the best things for helping thin your bile, helping your body detoxify. They also help drive up nitric oxide in your blood, which helps with dilation, getting more oxygen into your brain and into all all your different muscle tissues for better recovery into your brain for mental clarity, into your heart, your heart's able to function at a better level. Beets are one of the best things for your bloodstream, your liver, and your brain. That is in here, in the Organifi Red Juice. On top of that, it's got this freeze-dried berry blend, with blueberries, acai, pomegranate, and raspberry. These things are loaded with antioxidants like resveratrol, for example, and anthocyanins, which help with buffering oxidative stress, help support your immune system, help improve your skin health, helping prevent against wrinkles and age spots and sunspots. It's so powerful for your body. One of the best things you can drink after you've been in the sun. And if you just want energy throughout the day, I drink, I take a scoop of this, put it in water and drink it after lunch. And it really gives me a great boost for, you know, that, that post lunch type of, um, of work process, right? So many people are getting tired right after lunch. This will help boost your energy, boost your mental clarity, and really help you. No caffeine in it, only two grams of sugar, loaded with antioxidants. You guys are going to love this. Organifi Red Juice. Check it out today at Organifi.com forward slash DR Jockers. Use the coupon code Jockers for 20% off. It tastes great, loaded with antioxidants, and will really energize your brain and your body. So check it out today. Yeah, that's so good. Now, in that category that you were talking about with uh, energy production, so um, you mentioned perfusion. So you mentioned anemia and perfusion. What are things that you're doing to help improve perfusion? Let's say they have enough iron, right? They don't have an anemia, but they still have the cold hands and feet. They still aren't getting, you know, they, they have orthostatic hypotension where they go from sitting to standing and they're dizzy. What are you doing there? Right. So clinically, we have to collect evidence and data to support something that we're doing. So for example, mm-hmm. let's say they have low blood pressure to go with all of that. Yeah. 
they have documented like actual okay, it's 100 over 60 or below that, mm -hmm. and it's low. And they also have orthostatic hypotension, they're dizzy, they have fatigue, and all this stuff. Yeah. So then we we look at okay, let's can we get the the blood pressure up? Now, obviously, there may be causes for the low blood pressure as well. Yeah. Right? yeah. But then, can we just rescue this person? Right? Can mm. we just like regardless why this person is unconscious, can we get air into this person first right. so they can survive? Right. And then figure out why he got knocked out in the first place. So that's that's kind of the, my mentality. Like let's let's help this person to function, and then we can like figure stuff out along the way. Mm -hmm. Because without that first step, it's very difficult. So if they have low blood pressure, then we may give them just sea salt, right? Salt with yeah. water. That salt will create sodium retention, which will bring the pressure up. Uh, you know, and, and that that may just make a difference for them. Now, mm -hmm. I would say though, clinically. Having them take salt, it doesn't make their blood pressure go up overnight. Some people, yeah, some people it does. Some people it takes a long time for, for because there's other reason for the low blood mm. pressure. But even if the blood pressure number doesn't go up, they may just feel some better already yeah. just by having a little bit more volume, the the fluid volume and more retention. It's just enough to kind of it's almost like a plant that's wilted because it doesn't have enough water. Yep. Now you get enough perfusion in it. The plants is like, okay, I got enough water in it to kind of support the structure. Now, now I can stand up a little bit better. It may not be all the way thriving, but it can stand up a little bit better. So, and it, just keep in mind, I want to say this very, very clear that we're not treating the low blood pressure. Mm -hmm. We're treating someone with brain immune gut access problem. And if they have low blood pressure and that's related to their problem, then we fix it. But we don't, so, so a lot of time people is like, well, I don't, I don't feel dizzy. I don't have nothing, but my blood pressure is like 102 over 65. So like, oh, Dr. Khan says low. So I got to take salt. Mm. Not necessarily if that low blood pressure is not causing problem for you. Right. right. So it's always like correlating with what's going on with you to see if it makes sense. But if you actually have low pressure, then taking salt in some water mm -hmm. can be one of those strategies. Now I talk, talk about what are potential causes for the low blood pressure or poor circulation. If you have low blood pressure, and you also have hypoglycemia, which is the next step on the roadmap. Yeah. Oftentimes that can be related to adrenal gland dysfunction, right? Like a hypoadrenal pattern where if you're not making enough cortisol and aldosterone, which are all a hormone produced by the adrenal gland, then you can have this low blood sugar, low blood pressure pattern. So if both of those are present and you also dizzy, you also have brain, you got problems, right? Then we say, okay, potentially supporting cortisol levels could be helpful. Mm -hmm. So then we may bring on licorice root, which yeah. can extend the half-life of cortisol and just give them little little room, right? Just to give them a little bit more cortisol in the system. So then they kind of just don't wilt and they, they can mm -hmm. actually start to gain, gain the function back. And then we figure out, okay, then why is your adrenal gland messed up in the first place, right? Just, just taking licorice root doesn't necessarily solve the problem. You have to find out why they have hypoadrenal function. Right. So true. And, uh, you know, going back to that brain immune gut axis as well, is that oftentimes with these adrenal issues, we're taught, you know, it's an adrenal problem, but usually it's an issue where the brain the communication pattern between the brain and the adrenals is, is dysfunctional. And so therefore the adrenals are not producing as much hormone because they're not getting the right signals from the brain. The brain's not quite sure how much signals or how much adrenal hormones being produced. And there's just a dysregulation there. Absolutely. That's the HPA access. Yep. And there's other, you know, even neurological pathways through the sympathetic nervous system, how that right. innovates, you know, and cause epinephrine production. So definitely there's a, a neurological brain influence on adrenal production as well. Mm -hmm. That's often overlooked. We just kind of take this Hans Selye model of adrenal yeah. phases of adrenal exhaustion, but it, it's more than that. Cause you can literally go from stage one <laughs> adrenal right. to stage seven adrenal fatigue overnight. Like yeah. take somebody with uh, who get a flu 
right? What yeah, happens there? You get the, overnight, you're like, you look like you have adrenal <laughs> fatigue. It yeah. didn't take years to get there. So, you know, there's things that can shut the adrenal down from a neurological standpoint and even mm. cytokines. Yes, that's a great point. Yeah, for sure. And so again, you're going back to uh, energy delivery. That was like the first thing. I think you categorized it differently, but you talked about perfusion. You talked about anemia. The next step then would be what? Blood sugar? Yeah, absolutely. That's why yeah. I harp on that blood sugar all day long. And yeah, I had a great interview where you gave tons of just really great information on, on blood sugar. And, and I, I think this is underappreciated. I think... Mm -hmm. um, this is where a lot of people are chasing the heavy metal detox. They're yeah. chasing the, the, you know, the, the antioxidant, the CoQ10, they're chasing, you know, the candida and the mold. And they're forgetting about is your blood sugar stable? Mm. Now, many times the blood sugar could be unstable, either high or low, or just high and low because they have mold or candida or, or metal issue. It, it can, right? That those things can disrupt cortisol level, cause inflammation, cytokines, which can cause spikes, spikes in blood sugar. But I think a lot of times, just most commonly though, you know, most commonly, not everybody, but most commonly, most people just have problem with their dietary intake and that they're eating foods that causes blood sugar spikes and, and lows. Mm. So by just eating in a way that's conducive to that based on their pattern, so what that means is there's two main types of blood sugar dysregulation. One is hypoglycemia and the other type is insulin resistance where you tend to have the higher blood sugar. Yeah. So, you know, if you have hypoglycemia, then your goal is to prevent the hypoglycemia from taking place. I, I want to kind of just say something here about hypoglycemia. I think the symptom of hypoglycemia typically is, you know, you get hangry, right? You get lightheaded, shaky, irritable, mm -hmm. you're forgetful, and you feel like you're going to pass out if you don't eat. These hypoglycemia symptoms are not blood sugar symptoms per se. They're brain symptoms. Mm. When you right. feel shaky, lightheaded, irritable, what is that? That's your brain going through transneural degeneration because it doesn't right. have enough fuel and start to become unstable. So it's fluttering. It's like a light bulb that's just fluttering or candles about to burn out. It's just mm -hmm. unstable. So it's all flickering and you can't, the light's not giving constant output. That's what's happening with your brain when you feel that. And, and when you go through that, you start to risk losing brain cells. Literally, some of your brain cells yeah. would just not make it. The weaker ones that need to be pruned out, the one that's been you know, injured before from a concussion, those weaker ones are the one that's going to crap out first from not having enough fuel delivery. Yeah. So, so then you're basically accelerating neurodegeneration yeah. without really needing to go through that. All you have to do is just pay attention to your dietary habits. So in people who are hypoglycemic and you feel that hypoglycemic symptom, you really have to eat small frequent meals or eat, mm. you know, to prevent that symptom from taking place in the first place. Because when that happens, when that symptom takes place, you already probably lost some brain cells. Yeah. And, and that's not something you want to do. And when those weak brain cells die too, they're spilling out toxic components that cause more collateral damage around them as well. So they end up weakening all the brain cells around them. Right. And, and like you say, that even just the toxins that yeah. release, but also just the, the protein fragments from the right. dead brain cells being released can cause microglial activation. Yep. And the glial cells are like the, the cleanup crew. Drives so up as they start to clean up, you start triggering brain inflammation. So that has secondary effects. So yep. that's why the brain immune gut concept is that 
you know, you have to take it step by step through the roadmap. And you, the first step of the, these roadmap is so critical because without fuel, your brain becomes mm. unstable. They can die. And just from that process, you can trigger brain inflammation, which can be perceived as brain fog and fatigue. So, so many people say, oh, I have brain fog and fatigue. Must be the candida. Must be the mole. It might be. But guess what? If your blood sugar and fuel delivery is not right, it's just you're not going to be able to fix the, the parts down the road. Okay. Right. So I, I think that's a great point. So you talked about hypoglycemia. Now, on the flip side of that, insulin resistance, when you're insulin resistant, now your body's struggling to get any sort of nutrients into the cell because insulin not only brings in sugar, which is obviously needed, but also brings in minerals, cofactors, different things like that. And so you could talk a little more about that too. Well, the example that I use, well, not an example, but the point I, I would try to illustrate to people with blood sugar is that they tend to think like low blood sugar, not enough sugar, high blood sugar, too much sugar. So I'm going to eat less sugar or eat more sugar to, to compensate for that. Right. But that's, that's missing the point. When you have low blood sugar or you have high blood sugar in the, in the case of insulin resistance, in both cases, you have low sugar level intracellularly. Mm. So basically yeah. your cells are starved of energy in both cases. One is you don't have yeah. enough glucose in the first place. In the insulin resistance case, you, you, don't, you can't get the glucose into the cell because you're insulin resistant, but your cells are starved mm. of glucose in both cases, which impacts your fuel delivery. So in people who are insulin resistant, and this is why they have cravings, right? They have sweet cravings. They eat a big meal and then they at the restaurant and they say, hey, the waiters always come, what dessert would you like? It's like, yes, I, I'm so <laughs> stuffed, but I'll take an ice cream on top of that because they have the sweet craving afterwards yeah. because literally they're insulin resistant from a carb-rich meal and they can't jam any more glucose in the system, mm. but the cells are starving of energy. So then they have the sweet craving to, to compensate for that, to try to jam more sugar in there in an attempt to get more energy in the system. So I, I think people have to understand the solution is not eating more sugar to compensate for right. low blood sugar. The solution is, you know, fasting perhaps, you know, and people with hypoglycemia, we have to be really careful. We have to, you know, see if they can even tolerate fasting. In the beginning, they may not be able to. We may have to get them healthy enough to be able to do fasting, right? Fasting has a lot yeah, of benefit, yeah. but they just may not be able to do it. So I take fasting as a sign that they're healthy enough to actually do it, right? Metabolically flexible enough to actually fast. So some people are just too sick to do it in the beginning mm -hmm. stages. We try to get them there. Uh, but really the solution is eating a balanced diet, fiber, you know, uh, balance between fast protein and carbs. So it's not necessarily this extreme, you know, not everybody can do the same thing, right? Not everybody can do keto and not everybody can do mm -hmm. fasting, but those that can benefit from it, they'll benefit tremendously from it. And those that aren't ready yet, we get them ready for yeah. it. So then when they do keto and fasting, they'll have a much better experience with it. Yeah. It's all about improving metabolic flexibility, your ability to go between burning sugar for fuel or burning fat for fuel. That's really the key there. And so some people, you know, are on opposite ends of the spectrum there. Uh, and, and it's all about improving that, that level of metabolic flexibility. So we talked about, you know, getting the fuel, right. So we start working on that. We address those areas. What's the next step that you're looking at? The next step we're still in fuel delivery. Now I have yeah. a, a take on it. It's just my, 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 uh, you know, uh, my way of kind of seeing fuel delivery. The next step in the fuel delivery is three parts to it. There's perfusion, there's a blood sugar. The next step is actually just digestion. Mm. Yeah, because true. if you can't digest you your nutrients, you're not delivering your, your fuel anyway. So yeah. you can eat the healthiest or most organic food. You can eat some exotic berry from the Himalayans that's blessed by the monks. You're not getting the nutrients in your body if you're not digesting your food. Now, digestion starts at the brain level, right? Mm -hmm. 
Like digestion right. starts like with you sitting down and relax and not eating in a fight or flight state. Yeah. Because how's that going to promote digestion? Digestion starts from seeing the food, smelling the food, and eating with good company. And 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 digestion starts with mastication, chewing mm. your food. So so I think people's like you know they want to take a lot of stuff like they they start so they they start digestion with like I'm going to take probiotics. Mm. Well, you're fixing the digestion from the other end. <laughs> Digestion's from the top starts from the right. top. So we always start from the top of digestion. Are you eating in a proper way? Are you chewing your food? And then really, the, then the next step beyond that is stomach, right? That's the next place. After you swallow your food, where does it go? It's your stomach. So that's really where I, where I look at a lot. I look at, are they able to digest? Do they have enough stomach acid production? Are they, do they have any pancreatic enzyme needs? Uh, is a gallbladder working to secrete bile to be able to emulsify fat? So then when I say digestion, I mean the, the upper part of that, right? Because yeah. below that, you have the small intestine and colon, then that's more about absorption. When I say digestion, I mean just the beginning stage of breaking down the food. And I think most people, they just forget to chew or they, they, they're they so eating so stressed. They're so stressed mm. about candida and mold and taking a hundred supplement that, you know, and they're worrying about the condition rather than just being present with the food and enjoying yeah. the food. That's a starting place. Certainly, you can have vagus nerve dysfunction. Mm. Certainly, you can have all that that can impact your digestion from a neurological perspective. Yeah. We need to assess that and address it. But I think it starts with the with the, the mindset of eating, and it starts with chewing, and then we work on the the, the gastric area, and, and even looking at pancreas and gallbladder as far as you know these accessory digestive organs to make sure they're work doing the, the job they're supposed to do. Yeah, it's one one test that I'll have people do is I'll have them eat a steak, right? The steak test and see how they feel after a few hours, right? And if if you feel good, it's a sign you're producing enough stomach acid. If you're not, if you're feeling gas, bloated, acid reflux, sign you're not producing the right amount of stomach acid. And then you can do that with like a fat bomb or something like that, or just like a uh, something you know, a keto fat bomb where you've got basically it's like coconut and uh, chocolate mixed together. And that way you're really testing your bile flow, right? So again, do you feel good after eating that over the next few hours? You just eat it in isolation. And then, then we do the broccoli test, which uh, is really testing pancreatic enzyme production, right? Are you able to break those down or do you have bacterial overgrowth and poor, poor enzyme uh, production from the pancreas? You kind of see how you feel and how you respond when you're doing those things. What are you doing to test those different areas? Are you looking at specific labs? Are you looking at symptoms? Yeah, a lot of it is just, um, and in fact, in my master class, in our program, yeah. we're teaching people how to self-assess, right? Because mm -hmm. some people, they can't make it to the doctor or they sure. can't go to the doctor. So, so we try, try our best to teach them how to self-identify yeah. the symptoms associated with gastric issue or bile flow issue or pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. So we have a whole section on that discussing these symptoms. And some of these you talked about, you can do a yeah. challenge, right? I love the steak test. I love, I yeah. love how you call it. I'm going to steal it. So I'm going to go to Ruth Crest today, Ruth Crest today. To uh, <laughs> Big I'm steak gonna, and see how you do. I'm going to challenge it. Um, but yeah. anyway, but you know, a lot of it's just through understanding symptoms. Now symptom is a guide. So, so then symptoms leading you to the, indication that or suspicion that there may be something going on there you can always confirm with the lab and so on the lab test we might just look at you know protein levels albumin mm -hmm. globulin levels uh we may look at the various minerals that's typically even on a comprehensive yeah. metabolic panel calcium magnesium iron phosphorus to see if those levels are globally yeah. low so if it's like most wow, people don't realize you need stomach acid to really absorb 
those minerals effectively. A lot of people think about stomach acid and, you know, they think about protein, maybe B12 and iron, but they don't think magnesium, calcium, all those things so important. Yeah. So we look for global, you know, just like, wow, everything's low. So yeah. you probably don't need, take, need to take one of everything. Right. <laughs> you probably right. just need to improve your absorption. Right. So then there's indicators on labs and you can also do stool tests. We can look at pancreatic elastase as an indicator. You can even look at beta glucuronidase as a kind of indirect indicator of bile, you know, issues. Yeah. So, so there, there's things on lab work that can give us a clue. And then we, you, then you have to correlate with your symptom to see if it makes sense. So again, we, we talk about this in depth in the, in the brain immune gut masterclass and in the program. So then people can actually mm. be self-sufficient and be self-empowered to understand what's going on with them and be able to begin to apply some interventions themselves. And if they need help beyond that, then obviously they can schedule with a functional medicine doctor like yourself or me yeah. to, to uh, die further. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems super comprehensive, guys. If you haven't checked out the Brain Immune Gut Masterclass, you definitely want to check that out. We'll have that in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. Uh, Dr. Khan, obviously, is an incredible wealth of knowledge, as you guys can tell, and he's really created this great roadmap so you can self-assess and kind of see where your starting place is. So just like he talked about, you can be really focusing on those specific areas and maybe really just prioritize two or three supplements at a time as you're going through these different stages and addressing these areas. So Dr. Khan, any, any last words of inspiration uh, for us here? Well, I would say uh, the most important thing is keep learning, you know? So yeah. with us, you know, when people get into our, you know, our digital course, you know, we have a digital program that we offer to, to really take people into a deep dive. We call our people learners. We don't call them customers or clients or customers. Mm. We call them learners because that's who you are. You know, right. you, and for those who want to learn, who are on that journey, who who are interested in this information, who want to not just address their symptom and reverse it and feel better, yes, but also know how they got there. Mm. Those are the type of people that we tend to attract. So I, I say, stay curious and, and never just you know always know that there's different shades of gray right? With, with the health condition, with the body, it's a spectrum. It's not like black or white. So always know that there's other possibilities to consider. Don't get stuck on just, oh, I have SIBO. So it's like SIBO for the, for the next 10 years, you're fixing SIBO. There may be other things going on you need to consider. So we, you know, I want to encourage people to, to be curious and, and continue to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, check him out. AskDrKhan.com is his website. We'll have a link in the show notes for the big masterclass. Check that out. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Khan. This is a great interview. And guys, we'll see you on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.